then I'm going to uh, chat to Jonathan, um, ask him a few questions, and uh, then we're going to unpack this passage. So the verses I want to read are going to come up on the screen behind me. There's two passages. The first is in Mark chapter 14. It's a few verses from Mark 14. And uh, this is happened uh, on the night before Jesus is betrayed. And uh, Jesus, they've just uh, had a, a meal together. They've broken bread together. They've um, have been spending time talking together, and Jesus says to them this, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. And the second passage is a little later. As the story unfolds, it happens just as Jesus said, Peter denies Jesus three times. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's a really powerful story of Jesus restoring Peter. And I've asked Jonathan to come up here because he's got a little story that, uh, that ties in with this. And it's a story that many of us will be able to relate with. So Jonathan has been down here now for uh, around about uh, just over a year or so. And uh, Jonathan uh, came from Darlington. But before that, he was in university in Durham. And uh, Jonathan, you were uh, initially, as a student, uh, you were a Christian, became part of a, a new church that formed in Durham, and uh, all was going swimmingly. I think you were an elder there, and um, then it all went south. It all went wrong. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Yeah, well, uh, uh, as Steve said, I went to Durham. I, I was baptized in the Spirit. We got caught up in this move of the Spirit, planted a church. The church grew. Uh, it was an extraordinary experience to go through. Church grew to 200, more than 200 in no time at all. We saw God do amazing things. And then over a course of uh, a number of years that followed, um, I think we, we lost our way. Church uh, leadership issues, and I was part of the eldership, uh, and basically it fell apart. Uh, the church actually imploded, really, uh, and uh, left me in a complete mess. So t tell us what happened, what was happening to you at that time? I think what happened to me was, uh, it was my life, you know, I was caught up, I felt what God was doing, uh, we were seeing extraordinary things and I, I felt as if 
this is it. This is what I was made to do. This was, this, it was my life. And we, we, everything else was peripheral. You know, we, we, were, we finished as students. We got jobs. We stayed in Durham. It was just about building the kingdom and building the church. And when it all fell apart, uh, I, I just didn't know where I was. I, I, uh, God and church were so intertwined that when church fell apart, uh, I didn't know where God was. And I was so... Uh, hurt. Uh, I felt very wounded. I felt very angry with God. Uh, I thought he'd, he'd mess my life up. I mean, it wasn't that bad before, and now it was terrible. And uh, I, I was angry with God. I was, I was bitter, um, and I, I just turned away from it all. I spent uh, probably over a period of some years, you know, many years, getting up to 10 years, uh, I, I, I experienced depression, probably a, a breakdown in some ways. Life sort of carried on, but I, I just I couldn't face church, and I, and I didn't know where I was, really. So you, uh, did you come to a place where your relationship with God was you somehow still believed in God? Well, I, I, at points, I, I wasn't sure, and I was scared by that, because I, I <laughs> kind of had for a long time. Um, and yet, over, it wasn't one thing, but God started to meet with me in all sorts of different ways in different times and in places that I didn't expect uh, through things I didn't expect. Some of them, you know, people spoke to me. Some of them people gave me little prophetic words of encouragement. Some, some things were through odd things like, like different forms of prayer. But I, I just f- found that God was reaching out to me and started to meet with me. And slowly over that period, through these experiences, my relationship with God uh, sort of was restored, and I, and I felt I was okay with God. And so, in terms of the things that had been perhaps such a part of your life in terms of the church, you yourself sort of restored to relationship with God, but somehow in terms of the church, yeah, was there was, still a disconnect? Different. Yeah, so I was sort of back in church, but I had this force field around me, which was, well, I'm here, and I know I'm okay with God but don't anybody else come near me, because uh, I don't want to know, really. And I, I kind of settled. At, I thought that was, well, okay, that's how I'm going to have to live my life. And I kind of felt sort of like a, you know, a, a cripple, really. I felt like I was, you know, I, could, I was alive. I, was, I had survived. <laughs> my relationship with God had survived. But all the things, all the dreams that I'd had, all the, all the things I felt God had said to me, you know, I, I felt they were destroyed. Yeah. Well, they, were, they were lost. And so, Jonathan, you've had, you've clearly had an encounter <laughs> yes. with Jesus, and that's changed everything. Yeah. Tell, yeah. Us, tell us briefly, you know, what well, that's, what's happened. I, I think I, I, I came in a fresh way to realize the grace of God. I, I came to realize that actually the call that I'd felt on my life since I was a teenager, that I felt I'd started to fulfill, that I felt I completely messed up and wandered a long way away from, I found that underneath the wreckage of all the other stuff, it was there. It was still there. And I found that, that actually it was the grace of God that that call was about. And it wasn't about how well I did or whether I succeeded or failed. Uh, and, it, and it kind of emerged from the wreckage. Um, and I'm, I'm here today as a testimony to the grace of God. I never thought, I, I never wanted to go back into leadership again. Uh, certainly didn't ever want to work for a church again. <laughs> never thought we would do something as daft as moving 300 miles, uh, and yet it's the grace of God. God has breathed a restoration into what I felt he called me to, and uh, it's amazing, really. 
wonderful. Can't let's give a big hand. Jonathan encountered the Restoration Man, just like Peter did 2,000 years ago. And this morning we're going to spend some time considering the fall and rise of Peter and his encounter with Jesus Christ. And we're going to find that Jesus is still just as gracious and merciful today as he was then. God wants us to know that however badly we failed him, whether in the past or the present, or however badly we're going to fail him in the future, he will never give up on us. His grace is sufficient for each and every one of us. There is always hope. And so we're going to unpack uh, Peter's story this morning. The first thing I want you to see is this, that pride comes before a fall. Pride is elevating ourselves. It's thinking more of ourselves than we ought ought to and We all do it. We are all uh, have a tendency to be me-centric. The world revolves around us. Everything is about how I feel and about me and my circumstances. And by doing this, when we live like that, we diminish the God who created us. Luke says that just before Jesus warns Peter publicly that he will deny him three times... They've just broken bread together. Jesus has said, one of you is going to betray me. They all start to debate who it is. And then then that spills out into an argument and a dispute to which one of them is the most important. How ludicrous. Spills out into which one of them is the greatest. Jesus cuts right across them and drops the bomb into the conversation and says, actually, this, all of you are about to betray me. All of you will do it. All of you are going to let me down. Listen to Peter's response. Even if all fall away, even if all these others fall away, I will not. Jesus says to him, that very night, before the cock crows twice, He will have denied him three times. Peter's pride stands out like a black cloud on a sunny day. I will never disown you. Within hours, Peter's world has fallen apart. Jesus is arrested. Peter is identified as being one of his followers. And Peter is so gripped with fear that he, we're told he calls down curses on himself just to convince those listening that he doesn't know Jesus. He won't even refer to Jesus by name. He calls him this man. Peter immediately regrets what he's done. But he can't take his words back. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Hidden pride comes out. Deep down, when we hear that story, we all do it a little bit like this. Oh, it's terrible. And, and if you start to imagine that scenario and you being in it, you think, well, I, you know, I might not have done very well, but, you know, I probably wouldn't have done what Peter did. Somehow we tend to put Peter, it was, it was pretty grim, it's, it's there to remind us that actually that, that's as grim as it gets. I'm not that bad. 
I want to gently suggest to each one of us this morning that we are all just as bad as Peter. Let me explain. In the book of Acts, Saul, who later becomes Paul, he's been persecuting the church. And there's a moment where he's on the Damascus road and and Jesus, the risen Jesus, encounters him on the road. And Paul doesn't know who it is and he says, who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, Paul could have thought, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting Christians. And here's the rub. Jesus associates himself so closely with his followers that when anyone, any harm is done to them, it's as though it's happening to him. He takes it really personally. As Christians, we are inextricably linked to Jesus. Later on, uh, the Apostle Paul, he actually describes it as being, we are in Christ. He is the head. We're the body. We are in Him. He is part of us. We're part of Him. We are linked to Him. So when we let a close friend down, when we let someone around us down, when we hurt another follower of Jesus, when we disappoint them, when we make promises that we don't keep, when we say things behind their back, that are really hurtful, Jesus is wounded by our words and our actions. Jesus takes it personally. Peter is no different to us. Pride comes before a fall. Do we have too high a view of ourselves? What happens when we get overlooked? Someone else gets recognition that we don't get. What's our reaction? Is it all about us and about how we feel? All too often, it is. I want to suggest to you there is great hope in this story because Peter learned this lesson. How do we know that? Well, the most brutal telling of the story is in Mark's Gospel and in Matthew's Gospel. And and Matthew's Gospel, most commentators accept that Matthew took uh, a a lot of his material from Mark's uh, uh, recording of what happened around Jesus. John's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, they're a little gentler on Peter. They're a little gentler on him. They don't record uh, that Peter called down curses. They don't record some of the language that Peter uses. It's Mark who tells us that Peter was cursing. He tells us that he wouldn't even name Jesus. The point to realize is this, is that Mark's gospel is based on Peter's eyewitness account. Mark is recording what Peter told him happened. It is Peter who's telling us and giving us all the grim detail. And the point is this is Peter the point Peter is making is this you thought I was bad let me tell you I am far worse I was far worse than you ever could have dreamed of It's Peter who's opening the can of worms it's Peter who's showing us what was going on in his heart because Peter wants us to see the amazing grace of God to him 
He wants us to see what a failure he was and how marvelous and wonderful Jesus Christ was to him. This morning, God encourages us to walk in the light, to bring things into the light, not to hide things away, not to hide stuff that's hidden in our heart away. If we do that, we will build genuine community and there will be fellowship amongst us as we confess our sins to one another, as we acknowledge we're not all that and we need the grace of God. As we do that, we build community. Jesus is honored amongst us as we put him first and stop being so me-centered and hiding stuff away, thinking we can sort it out. We need the restoration man to sort us out. He's encouraging us this morning to confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another, to not put others down so that we can look good. To avoid judging others because God loves them deeply. Let's take heed of Peter's challenge. Pride comes before a fall. The second thing I want you to see is this, is that repentance comes before restoration. I want you to know this. Peter was genuinely repentant. He was genuinely repentant. There's a moment, you see, one of the other disciples, Judas, betrays Jesus for money. And when it's clear that Jesus is going to be crucified, Judas shows remorse, but it's only because he's feeling sorry for himself. He's not really repentant. Peter, on the other hand, is absolutely devastated that he has let the person he loves so much much down so badly. Inside, he's heartbroken by the thought, how could I have done that? Luke tells us that as the cock crowed, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. He didn't say anything. He just looked at him. And as he looked at him, Jesus' eyes of burning fire penetrated right into his very heart. Peter was broken. He remembered all that he promised he would never do. And he weeps bitterly. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with mistakes and failures. Maybe you've made promises that you haven't kept. What we learn from Peter is repentance leads to restoration. Many years ago when I messed up my life in my late teens and early 20s, God was merciful to me. Jesus encountered me. And in that that moment when Jesus encountered me, I understood something of repentance. For the next two years, every time I prayed, you may think I cry when I pray. If you're around me when I pray, you think he's always seems to be got a handkerchief out. I tell you, when in those first two years, all the time I just wept and wept and wept. I was going through a process of repentance, and repentance is a process. It's not just a one-off thing. It's not a one-off moment. It's not just a quick sorry. Repentance looks like, uh, uh, it looks like this. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. It's going God's way, not our way. It's not focusing on ourselves anymore. It's focusing on Him. It's putting ourselves second and Christ first. 
It's humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand, not trying to justify ourselves, which we all too often do. Peter, Peter was a repentant man. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 6. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Peter was a repentant man. And God is faithful and will forgive us our sins if we confess our sin. That means saying, I'm the man, I did it. I let him down. I got that wrong. I made a mistake. It's not burying it under a weight of excuses, under a pile of excuses, which we so often and so easily do. God is never shocked by our foolish mistakes. And he's not shocked by our intentional sin. We see Peter's love for Jesus despite his failure. He knows he's blown it. But Peter was first at the empty tomb. Peter was with the other disciples. He didn't cut and run. All too often when we get it wrong, we give up. We think he's not going to love me and we feel sorry for ourselves and we head for the hills. Peter, Peter was, Peter, when he heard that Jesus' body was gone, he's, he's racing there. He wants to be there. He knows he's messed up. But he's desperate because he loves this Jesus. He won't leave the disciples. He won't stay away. That, Thomas, we heard about last week. Thomas has, has gone, but Peter, Peter's there, despite the terrible mistake. And we're told on two occasions, before the incident we read about earlier, that Jesus meets Peter privately. And in that moment, Peter, Peter is forgiven. He knows he is a forgiven man. In those encounters, Jesus lets him know he is forgiven. And that weight falls off his shoulder. But there's more than that. There's more than that. Peter isn't just forgiven. Jesus wants to restore him. You see, he called Peter to be one of his 12 disciples. And remarkably, before Peter's failure, Jesus says this to him. We read it in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 22. He says, Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have, tu- when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knows what's going to ha- happen. Peter has turned back, he's received forgiveness, but there's more for him yet. I want you to know this. God knows everything that has happened and everything that will happen. He knows all about you. He knows you inside out. He gets you. He knows everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. He knows everything that you're going to say and everything you will do. Jesus wants to encourage you this morning. Even though there's an enemy out there who wants to sift you and destroy your faith, Jesus is praying for you right now. And if he's praying for you, there's hope. But it isn't just about forgiveness. It's about restoration. You see, Peter, he's forgiven. He knows he's forgiven. But he goes back to what he knows he can do. And in the beginning part of John, before the passage we've read, Peter says, 
I'm going fishing. Who wants to come with me? And there's seven disciples and they go fishing. He can't, you see, the issue is, Peter can't believe that Jesus can use him again. He knows he's forgiven, but he can't believe that there's, uh, there's anything that Jesus would trust him with. So best just stick to fishing. That's what I know I can do. Maybe you've been thinking like that. I had all these dreams. God's not going to use me now. I've made such a mess of things. I want to tell you this morning that God still has plans and purposes for each one of your lives. Jesus graciously comes to where Peter is. I mean, how gracious. He comes to Peter right where he is. Peter's out in a boat fishing. I want to tell you, this is a remarkable moment. Back in Luke 5, when Jesus first encounters Peter and calls Peter, Peter's in a boat. He's fishing. Jesus is on the shore. He gets into the boat with Peter. He preaches. And then he says to Peter, throw your net on the other side. Peter says, we've been fishing all night. We've not caught anything, but because you say it, I'll do it. He throws the net over. There's a huge catch. Peter falls on his knees and says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. He realizes that he's in the presence of the Son of God. And Peter leaves everything to follow Jesus. Now, years later, Peter's out in a boat, fishing. Jesus comes to him again on the shore, shouts him, Boys, have you caught any fish? No, we've not caught anything or not. Throw your net over again. They throw their net over and they, there's a huge catch. And John says, it's Jesus. Peter is out of the boat. He's in the water. He's heading for shore. He gets back. He, he gets to shore and they, they have breakfast. Here's a, this is a beautiful moment. Peter has let Jesus, betray Jesus down in front of a, a fire in the high priest's courtyard, there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, in front of a fire, Jesus restores Peter. For every denial, Jesus asks him a question. Peter, do you love me? He doesn't ask him, can I trust you now, Peter? Will you now do what I say? Will you listen to me now? Jesus says none of that. He simply says, do you love me more than these? These other disciples. And Peter's response, I tell you, pride, pride is gone. He doesn't say, yes, I love you more than all of these. I, I told you I did. He says, you know I love you. There's no sense or hint of pride in his response. There's no comparison with others around him. He says, you know that I love you. And Jesus challenged him. He says, if you love me, then you need to show it. He says, I want you to look after my sheep, care for my sheep. You see, if we love Jesus, our love for him will be demonstrated how we treat others. And when we treat others, we're 
We're showing our love for Jesus. Our love for Jesus is demonstrated in how we treat others. Jesus closely associates himself with his followers. And so when we treat others, we're showing, well, we're showing our love for Jesus. So whatever people's background, whatever their history, whatever their mistakes, whatever their failures, however weak or strong they are, loving people is the answer. Sometimes loving people is tough. Sometimes love has to be tough. Sometimes love is asking the difficult questions. Sometimes love means saying no. But when we treat people with the grace of God and the love of God, we're showing them the love of Jesus. And so sometimes, because you love someone deeply, you will say that's not the right thing to do. Jesus' challenge to us this morning is, do you love me? Sometimes love looks like going the extra mile with joy and not grumbling. It means sharing what God has blessed us with. There are times it does mean confronting people with the truth. If we feel this morning that we are disqualified, we've disqualified ourselves like Peter, I want you to know this morning, there's hope. There is hope for you this morning. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Repentance comes before restoration. Finally, I want you to see this. People come before ministry. People come before ministry. C.H. Spurgeon said this of this passage. This is what he said. When Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, you half thought that the Lord would answer, ah, Peter, I love you. But he didn't say that. And yet, he did say that. Perhaps Peter didn't see the meaning, but we can see it. Jesus did, in effect, say, I love you so that I trust you with that which I purchased with my heart's blood. The dearest thing I have in all the world is my flock. I make you a shepherd to my sheep. I gave everything for them, even my life. Now, Simon, take care of them for me. There's an interesting verse at the beginning that we looked at. Jesus warns his disciples in Mark 14, 27. They'll all fall away. And then he says this to them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's quoting uh, an Old Testament prophet, Zechariah. And he views that verse as a prophecy about himself dying on the cross. The sheep will be scattered. I mean, the obvious meaning is that the disciples are going to run away, going to be scattered when Jesus dies on the cross. And and that's what did happen. But I, I think there's more to it than that. Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Jesus said he came as the good shepherd and he came to find lost people. He tells parables about a shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go and find the one that was lost. Jesus 
knew he was going back to his father in heaven. He was going to leave his followers to gather his scattered sheep. They would complete his work by the power of his spirit. Prior prior to Jesus dying on the cross, I think Peter and the other disciples, they dreamed of God's kingdom invading this world, of, uh, of it being established, of Roman tyranny being overthrown. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, all their dreams fell apart. But here, on a shoreline, on a beach in Galilee, Jesus restores Peter and is telling him he's going to be a shepherd, a gatherer of scattered and lost sheep, people far from God who need bringing home, a carer of weak and needy sheep, people who are lost in their faith and need strengthening, feeding, guiding and looking after. Previously, Peter had been all about position. Who was the most important? It was about recognition. It was about ministry. Similarly, we can get caught up in some of that. That it's all about position. It's all about the badge. It's all about role. It's all about this, that, and the other. Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Loving Jesus is all about, about people. The poor and the rich, the young and the elderly, the weak and the strong, the clever and the less clever. The world is full of scattered and lost sheep that Jesus wants us to gather and care for. Will we give our lives to it? I read this recently and I, I tell you this, this deeply moved me. Listen to this. The aging of society represents a major new demographic challenge. The average life expectancy of a newborn baby in the world as a whole was estimated at 67.9 years for the period 2005 to 2010. In the EU, life expectancy at birth stood at 79.7 years in 2009. The UN's population projections suggest that the number of older persons in the EU will increase to such an extent that there will be fewer than two persons of working age for each person aged 65 or more by the year 2060. Financial projections suggest that this will bring a pensions and tax crisis. But where there is crisis, there is opportunities. Churches have traditionally focused on youth, aiming to build the church of the future. But now we must come to be aware of older people as a mission field with just as great a potential. Who will give their life to it? Who will give their life to it? We give ourselves to young people, and that's right, and we're going to continue to do that. But who will give their life to caring for the elderly? Somehow has felt less glamorous. Jesus says, do you love me? Care for my sheep. There are so many scattered and damaged people, yet so few who love Jesus enough to give their lives to gather and care for them. These are the people Jesus gave himself for. Jesus' kingdom is all about people. That's how we show our love for him. Will we give our lives for this?
As we draw to a close this morning, I want to say this to you. Pride comes before a fall. It really does. It always ends in a fall. So let's be people who keep ourselves humble before God. Let's be open and authentic. Let's not stuff stuff away in the dark corners of our hearts and shut the door and think nobody knows. Open the doors. Let the light come in. Let receive help from Jesus. Know his forgiveness. Help him help you walk in repentance. Let's treat people with Jesus in view. If we make mistakes, let's keep short accounts with God. If we've let him down, there is forgiveness at the cross. We've reminded ourselves of that this morning. Maybe we feel written off. God can't ever use us. I tell you, he has not given up on you. Jonathan stood here this morning as a testimony to the truth of that. God wants to restore you this morning if you feel like that. Maybe you're far from God. Maybe you'd love to come into his family today. Jesus simply wants to know that you love him and you'll give him your life. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've come this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Do it today. He loves you. His question to you is, do you love me? If you love him, give him your life. I tell you, it's the best thing you can ever do. It is all about people. It's all about people. Do you love Jesus? If so, give your life to loving and caring for people with us here in the church. God's people. Give your life to it. Roy Hessian once said this in his book, We Would See Jesus. And we'll finish with this. Christian service of itself can and so often does leave our self-centered nature untouched. We, we only have to work alongside others and we find resentment, hardness, criticism, jealousy and frustration issuing from our hearts. We need to leave our lusting for ever larger spheres of Christian service and concentrate on seeing God for ourselves and finding the deep answer for life in Him. Jesus wants to encounter you this morning. He wants you to see Him. He wants to restore you in Him, restore you. He wants your love for Him to spill out into love for others. It's not about the badge. It's not about the ministry. It's about loving Jesus. I'm going to ask James and the band to come out. and we, We're going to have a moment where we're going to respond to him. And I want to encourage you, if you know, why don't we just stand together in God's presence right now together?
if you know that God's been speaking to you, maybe it's about you've, you've just let him down and you've blown it and you're, you're struggling with knowing that you're forgiven. Maybe this morning it's about, actually, you know you're forgiven, but actually you don't see how he can ever use you. Maybe you've had dreams that have been lost. Maybe through things that you did, maybe others did to you, and you just feel they're gone, they're like, like smoke blowing away in the morning breeze. Maybe you feel that's like that for you. Maybe you feel like you're in the boat like Peter was. Jesus is on the shore calling to you this morning. Maybe this morning you have never given your life to Jesus Christ and right now you're saying, Jesus, I say yes to you. I love you. I want to give my life to you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it. If you know Jesus has been speaking to you right now, I just want you to, just as a sign to him, I want you to put your, your hand up and say, Jesus, you've been speaking to me this morning. I know you've been speaking to me. Don't worry about anybody else. You put you, If you know that he's been speaking to you, he's calling to you, just want you to put your hand up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm going to pray for you right now, right where you are. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you that you're on the shore, as it were, calling to us today. And as we draw near to you, as we come to you, as we draw close to you, there's restoration for us. There's an encounter with you that changes everything. And Jesus, we like Peter, we, you know, like Peter dived into the water and did it was rushed to Jesus. We run to you this morning, Lord Jesus. We come to you. We come to you knowing that you're calling to us, wanting to restore us. We know that there's forgiveness at the cross. We know there's restoration at the cross. We know that there's a future and a destiny for us in Christ. Jesus, we say we love you. Jesus, I say I love you. Why don't you right now, if you know that's you, I want you just to yourself, to him, say, Jesus, I love you. Tell him you love him. Tell him you love him. He gave himself for you. Tell him you love him. He says, he says, I love you, but he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Give your life for me. We're going to worship him, Jesus, right now. Let this be our response to him. Jesus, I am in you. I am in Christ. You are my hope, my strength, my song, my all in all.